0: Hello everyone, I'm Anna Somner and I've just graduated from the University of Plymouth where I studied history with English. From a personal perspective, this podcast opens up some of the complexities around the statues and public memorialisation debate in Britain and more specifically in Plymouth. I want to acknowledge from the start that this is a contested debate and it often involves different emotional responses. You may find that you're in one end of the scale, defending that all statues and place names should be kept no matter what. Or you may find yourself in the opposite end of the scale, defending that they should all be removed and changed. In between that, there is a huge number of other nuanced responses and opinions. This is in no way an exhaustive analysis of the statues debate, but rather the start of a conversation, an introduction to what is happening now and how it's inserted into a longer movement of social justice. It's not my intention to provide any answers as such, but instead to open the lid of the debate in an accessible way. I want to show that statues, the people portrayed by them and the debate around their purpose all have a past. I want to bring you some diverse perspectives. It's true that many famous names, especially from Britain's colonial past, were involved in practices that we now found appalling. It's clear that the way we see the past is not monolithic, in other words, unchanging and uniform. History is being rewritten all the time. In the case of the recent events that led to the toppling of Edward Coulson's statue in Bristol, historian and broadcaster Professor David Olusoga argued protesters were not erasing history but actually writing it. The image that I use to illustrate this podcast is deliberately provocative and challenges us to think this debate from the central point of view of social justice. It portrays a protester kneeling over Colston's statue neck in the same way that George Floyd was restrained and suffocated by the police in the US in May 2020. Protests following the tragic death of Floyd, an African-American who was killed under U.S. police custody, created a wave of global protests steered by the Black Lives Matter movement, or BLM as it's known. It's important to note that the BLM was created back in 2013, and some of the main demands are the end of police brutality and eradication of white supremacy. In the UK, the BLM protests re-sparked and triggered local, regional and national protests. But if I'm saying that they were re-sparked, what do I mean by that? In the case of many of these contested statues, there had been campaigns in the past to remove or change them. For example, back in 2018, the combination of the Rhodes Must Fall movement with campaigns in the US to have civil war statues removed culminated in what some commentators called statue wars. Following from the Rhodes Must Fall movement that began in South Africa at the University of Cape Town in 2015, in 2016, Oxford University students protested to remove colonialist Cecil Rhodes statue from Oriel College. In June this year, after more pressure from BLM protests, an independent commission of inquiry was set up to look into the potential removal of the statue and said it will consider a full range of options before making its final recommendation next year in 2021. We've also seen ongoing campaigns in the US to have civil war statues commemorating Confederate figures removed from public spaces. Some of you may recall the tragic death of Heather Heyer in 2017 when a car rammed a crowd of people opposing a far-right rally in Virginia. The rally was called to protest against plans to remove a statue of General Robert E. Lee who had fought for the pro-slavery confederacy during the US Civil War. It's important to take into consideration that most of those confederate memorials were erected decades after the Civil War when white southerners were re-establishing their dominion over African-Americans through the imposition of Jim Crow laws, for example. So the erection of these statues are themselves an example of rewriting history. In the case of Edward Colston's statue in Bristol, there had also been previous campaigns that sought to change its interpretation or remove it altogether. For many people in Bristol, the statue was an affront how could someone who profited from the enslavement of about 80,000 men, women and children be celebrated in the city streets? Despite efforts of decades of campaigning, attempts to have the statue uh, peacefully removed were prevented by defenders of Colston. More recently, last year, there were attempts to fix a reinterpretation plaque to the pedestal, evidencing his enormous involvement in the slave trade but Bristol Society of Merchant Venturers insisted on sort of watering down the text with the effect of minimising the degree of his slave trade activities. This poses the question, are statues actually serving any educational purposes? As argued by historian Charlotte Riley, they do not do a particularly effective job of documenting the past or educating people about it, They only seem to generate critically engaged conversations when there is a risk of them being removed. Another point to consider is that Colson's statue was erected in 1895, more than 170 years after his death. Many of these statues were built in the late Victorian period or in the dying days of empire in the middle of the 20th century. So what purposes were they serving then? The toppling of Colston and started a new wave of change in the city with schools and other institutions expressing they wanted to change their names um, after the, the toppling of the statue. So perhaps taking the statue down empowered them to speak their mind and change. Some of you, especially if you are from Plymouth or live here, may be thinking, how is this relevant to me? How does this affect the place I live or i am from? Why should I even care? There is a sense of pride in Plymouth's rich maritime history, the journeys that set out from its ports and which changed the world. I want to start a conversation around our own contested heritage with two examples. The first one is the renaming of Sir John Hawkins Square, who was the first English slave trader. And the second example can be seen in the demand to take Francis Drake's statue down from the home. Again, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, this is a controversial debate and some of you may have a very strong opinion about the discussion around Hawkins and Drake. In 1562, John Hawkins set out on a voyage that would mark the beginning of the English slave trade. Documents reveal that he left Plymouth with the purpose of capturing Africans along the Guinea coast and he captured and sold hundreds of enslaved Africans just in that one voyage. In 1564 Queen Elizabeth I sponsored Hawkins by lending him uh, her very own vessel for the purpose of capturing Africans on the West African coast. These early voyages proved to be tentative steps towards what was to become the transatlantic slave trade, which was a major source of income for British merchants for 300 years to come. Hawkins profited so much from the slave trade that he included a bound enslaved African on the crest of his coat of arms. In June this year, as a result of two online campaigns and BLM protests, Plymouth City Council decided to rename Sir John Hawkins Square. They proposed the pioneering Plymouth Argyle football player Jack Leslie to take the square's name. Leslie was the only professional black player in England when he played for the club between 1921 and 1934 and remains their fourth highest goal scorer of all time. It's believed that Leslie was actually set to become the first black player to represent England, but he was denied the opportunity when selectors were made aware that he was black. Prior to these events, Plymouth and Devon Racial Equality Council um, has worked towards the elimination of racial discrimination in the county. In 2008, they were involved in a row over the renaming of the Breton Arms uh, pub in Buckwell Street to become the Hawkins Meeting House, when they raised the issue of the nearby Sir John Hawkins Square and how uh, inappropriate it was. They also called for an honest examination of Plymouth's, Plymouth's role in the slave trade, particularly its celebration of Sir Francis Drake while attempting to ignore or minimise his own hand in that inhuman trade. So who are we forgetting here? Plymouth City Council now recognises it's important to acknowledge and commemorate the victims of the slave trade with a new memorial to those who lost their lives and liberty. They will put this in the Peace Garden on the hoe. In the case of Drake, he's everywhere in Plymouth, from the shopping centre right in the middle of the city to one of the university's hall of residences to his statue on the hoe. As much as there is a famous side of Drake, as a seaman and pirate, he also participated in the early voyages to the west coast of Africa with his cousin Hawkins. Between 1562 and 1567, Hawkins and Drake made free voyages to Guinea and Sierra Leone and enslaved between 1200 and 1400 Africans. You may be thinking, if we are to see the past with today's eyes, we would not celebrate many of the people we see in statues and place names. So how to decide what's morally worth defending today? Surely in cases such as the English father of slave trade or the Bristol slave trader, it's obvious that these people should not be celebrated anymore. In other cases such as Drake's, how to commemorate the positive legacy that some people left while acknowledging the dreadful practices that they involve themselves in. Professor Sir Jeff Palmer argues against demolition of slave trade statues for the fact that we are ignoring what is the deeper problem of racism. Perhaps one possible way forward is to, in the cases where it's deemed that the person's positive legacy outweighs their negatives, is for substantial reinterpretation to be done. One of the issues to highlight here is the risk of the final text to be much watered down or people just not reading it, uh, like the example we explored uh, with Edward Colston's statue in Bristol. In a Plymouth City Council statement this year, they expressed their aim to ensure that that where possible, existing monuments such as the listed statue of Drake are accompanied by a narrative referring to their role in the slave trade. The Box, the new Plymouth Museum, Archive and Art Gallery cultural hub, tackles this head-on by acknowledging straight away that Hawkins and Drake were not only seamen but also slave traders. It's clear from this debate that we inherited complex histories. As a way of conclusion, I leave you with a provocation by historian Charlotte Riley. She says... This country's relationship to its imperial history is built more on erasure and forgetting than on remembering. It's a series of silences from the past. Owning up to their crimes is much more difficult for many British people than simply walking past them in the street and for other british people having to see these statues every day sitting in lecture theatres and concert halls named after these men is a daily act of violence that has become unbearable thank you for listening and you and en- i hope you enjoyed the 5 by 5 by 5 programming